0: Hey there, my name is Vina Jetty, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits.
1: Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, welcome back to the podcast. And today we have the multifamily master, Vina Jetty, coming in. Vina's company, Vive Funds, has purchased over $900 million in assets and is just closing on their next property that will put them over the official billion dollar mark. But what makes Venus so special is just how humble she is. When speaking with her, you would never know how successful she is, how big her company is, as she's truly just out here serving so many people with her Facebook group, sharing her story from stage, and creating such good content for everyone to learn from. In this episode, we dive deep into what it is like to be a female immigrant in the real estate industry, why she is such a big fan of the multifamily asset, and you'll want to make sure that you listen to the end as she shares a story of how she helped coordinate and execute some of the biggest on-ground boot support for Hurricane Harvey that will bring the interview full circle for just how special she really is. So let's jump into this episode with the ever-incredible Dina Jetty. Before we jump into our show, I wanted to share about our Go Big to Give Big Masterclass happening on April 22nd. We are bringing in some of our incredible friends to come teach and train on how you can create more revenue and go bigger with your business so that you can give bigger and make a lasting impact in this world. We will show you everything from marketing branding new ways to make revenue how to find purpose and we'll even go as far as how to implement a giving model into your company you can find all the details in the show notes or on our instagram page at go to give big we look forward to seeing you there and now you can get back to your episode all right we are excited to welcome our good friend and guest today vina jetty thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us
0: hi thanks for having me i'm so excited
1: we were just chatting. Like, this is a this is a long time in the making. We've known yes. each other for a while, and we've been <laughs> like, we we both go big and we both give big, and it's both in our blood. and And you're a perfect guest for this show, and we couldn't be more excited to be able to uh, to get you on here and hang out and share some of your story with us. Cause I think it's gonna be a ton of fun.
0: I'm excited. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's been great. We've got to know you um quite a bit over the past few years. You had uh, you came and spoke to our meetup and hung out for you know five days with our crew and and had a lot of fun. And we've. Uh, met me at some events and some some mutual friends. But for our audience that might not know a ton about you, I don't want to just ask you to share your story because that's, you know, very common. But um, in the sense of go big in your life, what was the defining turning moment of your story where you're like, ah, oh, this is it. I'm destined to do something great in this world or something bigger or or a, a, a like I said, just a defining moment where you're like, oh, yeah, this is where I'm going to go and have some success and go big.
0: You know, that's funny because I always feel like I'm not going big enough. <laughs> I, I'll let you know once I get there. I don't, I don't and it's funny because I know other people look at my portfolio or like what I've done or what I've accomplished. And I've checked a lot of boxes, but it always feels like because I'm always looking up, right? Like I'm not looking down, I'm looking up. And so I always feel like, okay, well, all these other people are doing even more than I am. So I could be doing more too. And, I think that's what drives me, really. So I think I j- I don't think I ever get comfortable with where I am.
1: Amazing. Well, let me dive into it then. So when you when was when we, when you first started in real estate, did you just start into you know multifamily assets, or did you start with some single family and then start growing the portfolio like everybody, or were you like, no, I'm gonna jump into multifamily right away and start scaling fast?
0: No, I wish I had done that. I wish I knew that people could do that. Um, it would have saved me a lot of. Time and effort and energy. But I started in single family mainly because I thought you had to. Like I didn't know you didn't have to do single family to get into multifamily. And the turning point for me, and maybe this answers your first question better, right? Is when I started buying single family, there was this week, and I still remember it, where I bought like five houses in a week. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I hate this. This is not sustainable. It's not scalable. How could I possibly buy five houses a week for the rest of my life? Like, this just doesn't make any sense. And it was to get five more units. And I was like, okay, but I love residential real estate. So then I was like, okay, obviously I have to be in multifamily because it's the best of both worlds. You get the scale now i can buy 500 units in a quarter or a month or whatever you know that time frame is but the scale is there and so i started in single family i wish i hadn't but here i am that's
1: amazing and obviously as you scaled you've grown a lot along the way um where where did you start first having to make some hires and starting to grow so you're like hey i've scaled in some multifamily. now it's cool buying some properties but everybody hits that defining moment where you're like oh my God, I can't do possibly do anymore. I don't even have time to train somebody on how to do the thing that I need them to take off my plate. How did you transition in there?
0: Yeah, that's always like the million dollar question, right? Because when do I make the hire? And the answer for every single entrepreneur is you should have made it before you knew you needed it. Because once you need it, you're too late, right? And so I made the exact same mistake. I waited and waited and waited. You know, we bootstrapped it and we were like, okay, partners can do everything. And then I realized my time is just getting sucked into these lower level menial tasks that I really don't need to be handling. It's not the highest or best use of my time. So we, I think we've, our first hire was maybe an admin and an intern at the same time. I actually had remember my cousin that came with me. Yeah. So Shweta, she was my one of my first hires, like one of the first three, two or three hires um, that I had made. And she came and she interned for me when she was doing her MBA program. And she did a lot of our like data compliance and, you know, she's really great with computers and uh, computer engineering is her degree. So she was able to help us a lot from like a process standpoint and a system standpoint. So it was like one of the best hires I made until she finished, and then she went and got a fancy job and didn't want to work for me for peanuts anymore. So <laughs> that's
1: that's amazing. And um, the last thing I just wanted to touch on, as you can see, I'm kind of helping our audience understand what you do through some some good questions here. But um, you obviously started to scale, and, and Vina Jetty's is probably not writing multi million dollar checks to go buy properties. You're raising some capital and working with some people along the way at what point did you start realizing you needed to take capital in and then i know that's a huge component of your company now you know vive funds is a big thing of what you've created and how you treat your investors is so different than a lot of people in this industry and you care so much and you put a lot of attention to it that is a a go big moment as well of hey i'm not going to just keep doing small deals i need to start working with millions and millions of dollars with you know high net worth individuals what was that transition like
0: yeah, that was... Interestingly, in hindsight, I'm like, okay, after you take in an investor dollar, you will never sleep the same ever again. Because now the responsibility is totally different, right? Like, If I lose my money, it's one thing. It's totally different when it's an investor. And so I I started taking that capital when I started doing multifamily because I didn't have... I At that time, I needed $1.2 million on my first deal. And I didn't have that money liquid, right? And so I had to raise that capital. And I remember that was the hardest raise that we've ever done. I cried every day for six weeks. And people have probably heard me say this before if they've heard me elsewhere, but it's true. I did cry. And um, I didn't think we were going to close that deal. But, you know, spoiler alert, we did end up closing it. But there was (laughs) the point where I thought we would have to like liquidate everything we own to get that $1.2 million. Um, And that first raise, raise is always the hardest. But what you'll realize is as you do it more and you do it well, it kind of is a, a J curve a little bit or maybe like an upward trajectory, right? It's exponential growth. that's not linear. Because then those investors that have a good experience will work for other investors who will work for other investors. And then you start building really your brand, your name, your reputation. And that's really important. So in order to do multifamily, just by function of not having the money to do it myself, I had to raise capital.
1: Yeah, I love that. And and uh, we're going to dive deep into to some of these topics here and, and go into them. But the last one I wanted to do before I pass it off to Steve with some, some other questions was just, um, I know one of your favorite topics to talk about is just... Um, you know, the adversity you faced being a female in this industry mm-hmm. and, and the success you've had and the diversity you've had. And we've had a lot of really deep, good discussions about this, mm-hmm. but I know it's something that you're passionate about. So just walk us through some of the challenges that you faced or some of the obstacles you've overcame on this journey of being a minority and being a female in a very uh, male dominant industry.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that it's, I like to talk about it. I just feel like it has to be talked about, right? Because it's still an issue. If Once the issue is gone and that disparity doesn't exist in leadership where there's more diversity and inclusivity, then we cannot talk about it ever again. And I am good with that. That's the goal, right? Um, but so I'll, I'll give you a great example. I have had deals that I have bought and I'm trying to remember exactly the one I'm thinking of first Um, There's many examples, but one that particularly stands out is there was a deal we were buying. I think we were buying it for like 38 million. This was years ago. Um, And I walk in and I meet like the junior broker on the deal. And I say, you know, like I'm Vina Jetty. I'm one of the partners on this deal. And he goes, oh, okay, great. Um, It's nice to meet you. Is your husband coming? And I was like, i don't know did you invite him because i didn't like it would be weird if he showed up but i'm happy to have him here he was like so you didn't ask him to come i was like no he's like so do we need to like reschedule or like he could not fathom that i could have this meeting without my husband there which is so weird because my husband's not even in real estate at all he probably can't even tell you quite honestly where we own assets so i'm like no did you invite him and he was like no i was like should we wait for your wife like i don't i don't really know why this is the topic right um you know and he then he and he was just kind of a weirdo because he was like okay well where'd you grow up and i said oh i grew up in chicago and he's like oh but your english is so good and i was like thanks they speak english in chicago too like another weird thing to say to somebody when you're the broker on a transaction but, you know, he, he was young, and I could tell it made him really uncomfortable to hear my responses because, you know, I enjoyed the opportunity to be a little sassy. I'm fluent in sarcasm, so he got to see that.
2: Avina, um, what do you actively do? So, like, context. Uh, we, you and I have had some really um, interesting conversations around this uh, topic itself, and and equality uh, is, is really near and dear to my heart from a, a lack of exposure being from Victoria but then being cultured from traveling quite a bit but then also being like left from uh outside of social circles growing up um so on a on a day-to-day basis like outside of being like on podcasts but like maybe within your team or your own particular community how do you how do you continue to you know bring awareness to these types of topics um uh to, to like so more people can instill it
0: yeah um well one we talk about it right i don't really shut up about it you guys know this right we've had many private conversations where i i've brought this topic up because the reality is is i can't make this change on my own and your voices are much more powerful than mine is right because it's it feels self-serving for me to say this but when you guys say it and you guys call attention to it it's really people listen to you your voice is powerful and this change doesn't happen with just women or just minorities speaking about and calling attention to this. It happens with the majority saying, hey, wait a second. We want the best, and the best includes minorities. It includes women. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, I'm just lucky to be surrounded by men that have championed me and who's This is really close to their heart as well. And I I, I got lucky in that way. I don't know. Maybe I, I assume I attract that energy too, but it's it's important to me um but also within our own team uh, you know we're an all-women and all-minority-led company um not because we can't have men or we can't have uh, white men or white women in the company but because that's just how it happened I, I want the best i don't care who that is and that's the whole premise for why diversity and inclusivity is so important to me mm-hmm. um and in our own company we have our policies that we ask that our vendors or the companies that we spend dollars with, that they too have a focus on working with the best. And so that means diversity and inclusivity, not in the company. Because a lot of times you say that people are like, oh, but look, we have these seven admins that are all women. And I'm like, that's not really what I mean. What I really mean is I want to see your decision makers. I want to see your C-suite have minorities and women represented. And, you know, I had, there was a company that pitched their startup to me. They needed a round of funding angel investments. Um, And this is something we do personally on the side. And so we looked at it and I'm like listening to the pitch and I'm like, you can just stop pitching. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, your entire C-suite is all white men. You have not one woman, not one minority. That doesn't align with my morals and my values. And quite frankly, I don't think you can possibly have the best. And he was like, well, we're going to change that. Like, this is who's in our circle. I'm like, no, I understand that this is what, you know, you've done. But if you had a woman or a minority, they would have told you that this is a big blind spot for you. And that's the whole point of why it's important. And, you know, he came back to me saying, like, we're, we have a plan to have more diversity, more inclusivity. Here's what it looks like. I'm like, great put your money where your mouth is and then come back to me once you implement these things into the company, because mm-hmm. it's not its not enough for you to say that this is important. How are you doing something to make it important? And, you know, like he could have had his board of advisors could have had a woman. It could have had a minority, like just one would have been enough for me to be like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, they're still working on this, but there were none. And there, this is like out of 10 people. So you know, those are things that we follow internally. Our vendors we work with are typically women-owned, minority-owned, or there's representation in the C-suite. Um, but, you know, I have two daughters. I can't, I can't invest in a male-only future. There, what happens when they want grow old and they want to be in tech or they want to be in finance?
2: I love it, and the the actions speak louder than words. Uh, I think always carries volumes, right? And- You know, coming back to your actions in the real estate space recently, um, we're recording this March 2023, so it's interesting times, right? As it always seems to be, there's always, you know, new policies changing or different things in the global economy that are going on or whatever that might be. Um, But, you know, we are the the first half anyways, the go big aspect on things, but I do know like a lot of money has been sitting on the sidelines over the last couple of years, kind of like feeling out what the heck is going to happen next on so many different levels. What's been your approach into like the last couple of years uh, as well as, you know, looking forward? Are you hesitant? Are you ambitious? Is it somewhere in the middle? What do you do? You
0: you know, I, I get asked the question a lot like, oh, are you still investing in a down market? Yes, we buy at all points in the market and that will never, ever, ever change. What changes is the strategy, right? How you're looking at deals, how you're analyzing deals. So, you know, even 12 months ago, 24 months ago, it would not have been unreasonable to trend interest rates up slowly over the course of the next three to five years as an assumption. Well, today, like the Fed in the US is going crazy, <laughs> right? They're just like, every day, they're like, let's just add a couple a couple more basis points. You know, like it's It's insane how fast it's gone. And we're probably one of the more conservative underwriting groups out there where in 2021, we had trended interest rates up. Before interest rates were even moving, we were trending them up in our forward-looking projections. We could not have even fathomed that they would move this quickly, right? So today when you're going in, okay, we know interest rates are going up. We know that we need to start looking at different financing options. Maybe bridge debt doesn't make any sense anymore because... The rate cap insurance on it is just too expensive to make the deal work. Or, um, you know, a lot of our deals are going in with way less equity than we had in in the past, or sorry, way more equity than we had in the past, way less leverage than we had in the past. Where now maybe like our last deal, we leveraged about 50%. And historically we would have leveraged it like 75%, maybe 80%. Um, so all those things changed in a down pressured cycle, but it's Real estate is cyclical. It's going to go down and it's going to come back up. That's just how it works.
2: Has your patience changed through the last couple of years, or is it changing now at all?
0: Patience. Uh, we're we're pretty patient investors out of the gate. Like in 2020, we bought one deal. In 2021, we bought two deals. Um, last year, we bought two deals. So we're we're pretty patient in general. What's changed for us to be able to? potentially get like three deals or four deals or five deals is we just look at we have a larger pop- up funnel now so instead of looking at 200 300 400 deals to get one deal now we're looking at like five six seven eight hundred deals to get that one deal
2: crazy yeah um and uh going back to like the the loan to values that you've seen and are now having to deal with in you know, north of the border too um we're you know we're, we're having to deal with that as well um, but you know, with that you have to supply, you know, the the, the the price point of what you're buying really hasn't changed, is my guess. Like if it was forty million, maybe it's thirty-eight now, yeah. right? Which is is not really material. No. Um, but going from an eighty percent loan of value to a fifty percent loan of value is quite material. Yes. And that means you have to bring in you know, hundred percent more money into that deal. So have yeah. your efforts like also scaled a hundred percent to find more dollars as well or what's that been like for you over the last
0: oh that's an interesting question no one has asked me that before um so they haven't yeah people you did a good job (laughs) um so they haven't scaled like we haven't doubled our efforts necessarily i think it's because before when we were leveraging with you know 70 75 percent we just had so much more demand than we could actually take in so we ended up with like a lot of dollars on the wait list. And, but now what's happening, too, is our investors that have invested with us before, instead of investing $100,000, now they're increasing their check size to $200,000, $300,000. So they're increasing their investment allocation to us because they've had a good experience. You know, We've done well for them, especially in these turbulent times. Um, so we're just seeing an uptick in our existing investor base in terms of that size of check that they write us. Hmm.
2: I mean, that's always good business.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm not mad at it.
1: Um, we all follow Grant Cardone and we know him pretty well. And he always talks about that in a recession, that's when you should be expanding versus contracting and things like that. How does that resonate for you? Are you are you expanding right now? Are you out there uh, getting on more podcasts, putting more dollars into people to know you, to try and take advantage of maybe some other companies that are slowing down or, or scared of a recession, and you're actually now doubling down and trying to grow your company or your or your omnipresence right now?
0: Yeah, we're growing. Um, you know, last year at the in Q4 we hired two new employees. Where we just hired another one this month. Um, we're actually looking to probably bring on board two to three new employees in the next three to six months. Um, so we're we're definitely growing um you know Grant is the goat marketer. I definitely cannot hold a candle to that so um, I cannot say honestly that I'm you know spending more money or efforts in building a personal brand necessarily I am building a personal brand I'm probably more, Aware of it and not, and it's actually not because of the recession, it's because of where I think AI technology is. Mm-hmm. So that has completely changed the entire way that many people do business. And we've already incorporated AI technology years ago, but now we've just ramped up the different ways in which AI is integrated into our company. In the last like three months, it has completely changed our company. And I really believe that in the future, it doesn't really matter so much about the content anymore because AI can generate all of that. What's going to matter is who is saying it and who is delivering it, right? So I could say the same thing as Joe Schmo down the street said or as AI generated, but it, it'll mean more coming from me because I have that personal brand developed and built. And so that's actually why I think it's important to be developing a personal brand, but it's hard to do. I'm I'm not very good at it. So I'm trying yeah. to be better <laughs>
1: What's what's the biggest thing you guys have implemented with AI that's had the most amount of impact in your business today?
0: Oh, many, many things. Um, But I'll say the oldest thing that we implemented a few years ago is we started incorporating AI technology into our forward-looking projections on Proforma. Um, And this is projections based on like millions of data points, historic data points that we've used to predict out to the future. So we have a pretty good idea, especially in our core markets, of where cap rates might be in the next 12, 24, 36, 48, 60 months. Uh, we have a good idea of what rental rates we can probably expect, so it actually helps us fine-tune our underwriting so that our pro forma projections are better even further out.
1: That's super cool.
0: Yeah. Um I got... Over here, so...
1: Yeah. Uh, I I love that about you guys, and that's <laughs> why you are so successful is because you do, you do put so much attention to detail. And uh, it's kind of a little bit of a segue into my next question here is, you know, a lot of people say, well, Vina, you know, that's super risky that you take on investors' capital and that you're doing uh, so much real estate right now and, and getting away from just real estate, because we all know that the risks can be leveraged in real estate and you just put 50% down, which helps mitigate some of your risk. In general, of, of Vina Jetty's investment portfolio, your decision-making, how would you define risk? And how you can handle it and stomach it.
0: Well, whenever someone says like, oh, that's really risky or the opposite, right? Like that's really safe. What do you mean by that? Right? Because there's like a lot of different ways to define this. Now in multifamily, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but I wrote an article for Forbes and it's about the sharp ratio. And this is like a mathematical equation. So, like, I'm not making it up that multifamily is the best asset class, right? Like, I'm totally biased. But also mathematically, if you look at the Sharpe ratio, which is a measure of risk-adjusted return, so it's how much return are you making for the relative amount of risk that you're taking on? Multifamily has the highest Sharpe ratio. So, no, I'm not going to get as high of a return on stabilized Class B value-add multifamily that I would on a ground up development, but I take on significantly less risk for a healthy return, Um, you know, and it's ever changing, especially as the Fed raises the rates because now government bonds and like CDs and money market accounts are paying pretty decent and it's virtually little to no risk, right? So it's all in a global picture, but the most important thing for people to remember is This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. You cannot take any small snapshot of time to determine if something is actually risky or not. Secondly, the more important thing is that you're investing, whether it's into multifamily or real estate or stocks, bonds, CDs, money markets, IRAs, it doesn't matter. It's more important that you're investing because the commodity is not money. It's time, right? Like So there's a whole saying that Timing of the market is not as important as time in the market. And so starting today is way more important than finding like the asset class that works for you like five, 10 years down the line. Um, And I think people just really misunderstand that. And the other thing that happens is the more money you have, the more risky ventures you can take on Uh, because it doesn't matter as much. Once your basic needs are covered and then some of your wants are covered and then some of the luxuries are covered, like, I don't want to lose money, of course, but I'm willing. Like, I, an example, a great example is I I wrote a check. I spent $100,000. I invested $100,000 into a startup. It was like a tech startup. And this was like maybe five years ago, six years ago. And the company could have done 100x of my money or it could have gone to zero. It was a highly risky investment. Um, and it went to zero. I lost all my money in it. But because it was such a small portion of our portfolio, we didn't really feel... I mean, like I I have plenty of things I could have done 100 grand, with. don't get me wrong. But yeah. we didn't feel it in the same way that if somebody who only has a half a million dollar net worth would feel it, right? So it depends on your personal portfolio, your personal risk tolerance. I like real estate. It's very tax efficient. It, if you look at it over long periods of time, it has always gone up. People are always going to need a place to live um, and it's and it throws off cash and it's one of the best inflationary hedges that you can possibly have is income producing real estate. And if you look to the wealthiest people in the world, all of them own some form of real estate in their portfolio. That's not by accident.
1: Do you and your husband have the same risk portfolio? Uh, if you guys were to invest in design, I know you just not on the real estate side, but when you guys sit down for a conversation, do you have the same risk portfolio?
0: That's funny because we don't really talk about it that much. Um, he kind of is like, okay, babe, I trust you. Go be great. And uh, which actually puts a lot of pressure on me because like when this when this investment went to zero, I like felt so bad having to go to him and be like, babe, we just lost like a hundred grand. And he was like, okay, well, we could have made a hundred grand too. We didn't know what was going to happen. And he's like very pragmatic about it. Um, and I think neither of us really has this attachment to... Like money, it's really the the lifestyle that we want that's more important. Mm-hmm.
2: Quick tangent: This is something that I think that not enough people um, think about is that real estate is a long term play. Like mm-hmm. I think something has happened over the last three or four years where people started to get into this mindset of like, oh, cool, I can flip a house in six months and double my money, or you know, I can buy in a, a tertiary market, and because of you know the amount of dollars that were thrown into our economy over the last three years that you know value is now double or whatever that is i talked to a lot of investors a lot of them are looking for short-term plays yeah and i'm like what are you thinking no i mean bring yourself back to fundamentals yeah and um yeah small tangent Um, no i agree when uh, on the give side of things do you include your investors in anything that way
0: yeah we do uh So I grew up in a house where giving back was always highly emphasized. Like my parents made sure that my sister and I knew that like not everybody lives the way that we lived. And that was even, you know, we, I grew up very middle class, um, you know, I'm the daughter of two immigrants. So I remember when we didn't have actual money. Right. Um, I remember like I grew up with hand-me-downs like i never i don't remember ever having like new clothes or and i'm sure i did maybe every now and then but that was not the norm that was the exception to the rule growing up um and so my parents had always made sure we were really rounded in that way and humbled in that way because whatever we had they wanted to make sure we knew there were people that had even less than us right (laughs) um and so it's always just been part of my life in general And so one of the ways that we started incorporating investors, because initially when we used to close deals, uh, we used to make a charitable donation to something that was like important or close to us at that moment in time, right? And it changes from asset to asset. But then what we started doing was we used to, and we used to send like closing gifts to our investors. And I got a call from one of my investors and she's really smart. She's an entrepreneur, runs a multiple seven figure business. She goes, Vina, I don't want to say this like in a mean way and I don't know what the best way to say this is but like we're all accredited we don't need a $50 bottle of wine or whatever etc I can't remember and it's like um ouch like okay you hated my gift and she's like I, please hear me in like the most loving way possible but I would rather you do something else with that that's more impactful or where you're you know just pay me a distribution of $50 instead and I was like really like that matters and she's like yeah I, I mean it's really nice but there's no gift you're going to give us reasonably that's going to be like or it's shattering great and amazing and it was like challenge accepted right now ben i was like okay understood i heard a loud and clear And so i thought about it for a while and i was like okay well i can choose to be offended which initially i kind of was a little bit even though she was saying it from a place of love um and then i thought of well you know what we do charitable donations just personally right um Let's make this like a company thing and let's get our investors involved so that they're choosing where this gift goes to. So now what we do is every time we close a deal, um, all of our employees actually get to choose one nonprofit that's important to them. Um, And then we send out an email to our investors and they can all go in and it's just like a one click and they vote. And whoever, whichever charity gets the most votes, that's who we make that donation to for that asset. So it's a cool that's way cool. to get like the company involved and investors involved, and everybody's giving me great feedback about it. Everyone loves it. Not all investors participate in it because you know they don't open emails all the time, but um, the ones that do love it. I've gotten great feedback from it, and everybody feels like they're doing something good and important.
2: Have you found that, like, since incorporating that, that there is an additional level of? loyalty? I don't know if it's maybe like, I don't know if loyalty is the right word, but um, like a buy-in for like, I only want to work with Vina and her team because they have this additional um, piece of philanthropy that actually means something to me too.
0: I don't know. I don't get that feedback from our investors enough to know, but I can't imagine it hurts the ethos of (laughs) the deal. So, uh, but I have gotten good feedback like, oh, I really love that you guys do this, but I don't know that that's like the investment decision, so to speak, but I definitely think it doesn't hurt.
1: Do you think Do you think it has an impact on the, we talk a lot about like no like, and trust, right? That's mm-hmm. why an investor invests with you is when they know, like, yeah. and trust you. Do you think that has the ability to build know, like, and trust quicker when somebody sees that you're philanthropic and then you're giving and you're including your investors in it? Do you think it has like an a advantage point there?
0: I do. I mean, I think most of our investors in some Capacity, believe in you know paying it forward, and believe in you know just being a good human, right? Like I, I, I know Warren Buffett said, like if you are lucky enough to be in the top one percent, it is your responsibility to look out for the ninety nine percent. And you know I've always lived my life like that. Even when I wasn't in the one percent, I've always lived like that. And you know our investors, they're all accredited investors, so these are the top one percent. These are top earners, high net worths. Um, and so I think that most people that I know, one, especially once you reach a certain level of success, I think mean, most of us know and understand and feel obligated to help other people, whether it be through a donation or your time or your energy or your effort or your expertise or whatever that is. Um, I think that impact is really important. The more successful you are, the more important it is because money just means a lot less when you have more of it.
1: Couldn't agree more with that, and something that I've been playing with as a concept and idea is that um, working with investors, like, hey, how do you add some sort of giving component to your business or to your life mm-hmm. or to your messaging? Because that's just, I believe, if we have a gift as an entrepreneur, we also have the duty and responsibility to give back. Mm-hmm. And and I what I tell people is that even if this uh, charity component doesn't uh, bring you more investors, as long as it doesn't lose you investors, then it is going to eventually the good karma is gonna come your way. And okay. so this this concept of like, hey, I'm just gonna do it because it makes me feel great. And my investors, whether they like it or not, it makes them feel good. It makes everyone more attracted to me. And I just generally think people are more attracted to people that wanna do good in this world as, as philanthropist and entrepreneur mix versus just a greedy capitalist. And I think that's a big distinction that we're seeing right now in the industry is kind of changing that terminology
2: around.
0: I totally agree.
2: If somebody wanted to practice, um, you know, strengthening that giving muscle, Mm. how would they, like, how would you recommend they do that?
0: Be around people who do this all the time. Um, It has completely changed my whole entire life to be in the rooms that I'm in today. Uh, Because I'm around people who are doing more than me, right? Like, I'm around people who give more than me. Uh, You know, like, I, I was just looking at pace morby's instagram stories the other day and he's like oh we g- we gave a car and all oh, years worth of gas and like AAA a and insurance to a single mom who had two kids that have autism and i was like what do you what do you mean you gave her a car he's like yeah we we went and we got a car and we gave her a car because she needed it she was struggling and it's like was this like some kind of a charitable situation. He was like, no. And so she just gave them a car. He's like, yep. He was like, that's amazing. Like, I want to do that now. And that's how you get inspired is you you're around people who think abundantly, right? The abundance mindset is so powerful in ways that I couldn't have even imagined. And, you know, I look back on myself, even like Four or five years ago, and I used to say I had an abundant mindset, but I never, I didn't act like I did. It was still limited. It was still scarcity mindset. And now, now that I'm truly around people who have abundant mindsets, I'm like, oh, this is what that means, right? And so, like, that's how you exercise the muscle: is you're around people who are practicing what you want to be doing. You're around people that are more successful than you at whatever it is you want to be better at, right? Whether it's discipline or investing or social media or reach or impact like you're around you need to be around people and in the rooms with people who are doing more than you
2: absolutely
1: love that and speaking of hanging hey, out know, people that have done a little bit more than you i know you have uh probably a million stories of giving back and uh one of them that we uh wanted to touch on was you did some incredible work uh with hurricane uh harvey i believe yes yeah, just walk us through what that uh, that all meant to you and how it all came about, and and a little bit of the story there.
0: Yeah, cause you're about to see like a peek into like how just how crazy I actually am, right? Um, so this was in 2017. Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, and I live in Dallas, Texas, which is about three hours north of Houston. Um, so we weren't really affected. We had kind of like some heavy rain. That's it. But no hurricane, uh, hurricane fallout, and so. Uh, hurricane harvey came and you know we were all kind of talking about it here because it it was a big natural disaster that was slated to happen or in the middle of happening and I was like okay um all these people are getting displaced from their homes they have nowhere to go so i'm like googling like hurricane harvey rescue and in my mind i'm like are we gonna just like adopt a family and they're just gonna like live with us now which my husband would hate by the way he's such an introvert he would have been so mad but i totally would have done it anyway um so you know i'm like thinking about it and i didn't have kids at the time so it was just both of us and we have this like big five bedroom house i was like we could take a couple of families and no one will <laughs> know this uh and so i'm like you know in my mind i'm already thinking like okay this is what the family should be like and you know it could be like you know a, a couple or a couple of like single people whatever but you know i'm allergic to cats so i'm like okay we can't have a family with cats like this whole thing like all of this went through my mind as i'm googling like hurricane harvey rescue and i did not end up adopting a family my husband's very happy about that but Mm -hmm. um what we did instead was um i started the medical channel on um it was there was this app that you could download and it was like a two-way radio because none of the cell phone towers were up and so i started doing uh dispatch on the channel so i'd have like a map of of houston and um i enlisted like a bunch of my friends to give me i was like all right you have to either give me your time or your money you can pick which one it doesn't matter to me um you know my rich friends are like okay here's a check go away And like my friends that are you know still in school or just coming out of school and still building they're like i'll just give you a couple hours of time I'm like great Um, So we put together this whole spreadsheet where people could go online, they could go, it was a Google form, um, and they could fill out their pertinent information, like how many people, how many children, can you swim, are there medical emergencies, Um, do you have medication that you need to take, like where are you located, what are you wearing, like all this stuff, because we had to plan for not being able to reach them because cell phone towers were down. And we would then take that and then we'd issue it, there were rescue teams on a different channel. And so we'd like, we'd triage and then we'd send out rescue boats or rescue crews to go and like rescue people. And we'd mark it off the spreadsheet. And we kind of, we divided Houston into the four quadrants. And then we section off based on where the rescue teams were as this whole thing. And that there was a medical channel where I got a lot of my investors, actually a lot of my network. Um, I was like, okay, listen, all you doctors, I don't need your money, but I need your time. And so we had people that were like, physicians that would log in and they would give medical help over the phone like this is how you you issue insulin to someone or this is what you can do like people had to be like tourniquet over the phone and like so people did this and it was it was i'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because it was like such an incredible moment of humanity like coming together and uh like I'll tell you, I know you didn't ask me about this, but I have to share the story because it's so delightful to remember. Um, there was a- so when you have a natural disaster, apparently like all these people go into labor that are like really pregnant. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the gravitational force. I don't know what it is, but so there was um, there was this girl, this lady, who was like eight and a half months pregnant and she was locked in. She couldn't get to the hospital. And she was like, I think I'm going into labor, and I'm like, okay, just stop because I I need to get someone there too. And I'm like, trying to get dispatched, like someone dispatched over there, like priority, like forget whoever you're going to pick up, like you need to go get her right now. Um, so there was like a boat that was headed that way, and it was still like 45 minutes out. But on the medical channel, we had this OB, and I think she was based in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. and she's like, um, okay, like how can I help? I'm like, listen, um i give her like all the details of the patient i'm like she's like eight 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 and a half months pregnant whatever she thinks she's in labor like what do we do and the doctor was like well i don't know i've never i've never delivered a baby over a radio channel before so i don't know what should we do and I was like just to be clear i've never delivered a baby ever at all in any setting period it's so I think we're going to have to go with your best judgment here. (laughs) And she was like, okay, like, you know, it ended up being fine. We ended up getting a boat to her in like 20, 25 minutes. And she ended up getting to the hospital and delivering safely. But man, what a stressful time for people that just, you know, didn't have resources or access to resources. So anyway, that was, that was what we did. It was all grassroots. It was a very much a community effort. Um, I just am the bossiest about it. So it was easy for me to tell people to do things.
2: That's incredible Vina what an accomplishment and what a incredible like scale and I'm sure that you know being a part of that there were um, so many residual positive effects from people being able to support one another and uh, I love that about you you're an incredible human um is there maybe um a less ambitious story you might want to share that is <laughs> still, many
0: like, of those.
2: <laughs> uh, still incredibly close to your heart that like when you do think about it you get those goosebumps and maybe a little uh little heart cold uh, I mean,
0: yeah like all of them i mean giving is just so incorporated in our daily lives that it doesn't i don't want to say it doesn't hit the radar as much anymore but it's not like oh this is something that we did that was revolutionary you know like i'm sure in the last two weeks we've done some component of giving um you know some of my favorite stories are always not even charitable ones right like the ones where like you do the drive through what is it called the conga line or whatever through the drive through like i love doing stuff like that um you know my husband and i will sometimes like see a young couple at dinner and like we'll pay for their dinner and leave before they see it just you know things like that and i i always ask people when they ask me for anything or I, we help them. I just say like, listen, one day I want you to pay it forward to someone else too. Like that's important to me is that it goes beyond me and it keeps reaching for the future generations. Um, you know, on the opposite side of that story, I will tell you, so I have twin daughters that are, they're now three and a half. Um, and so around like the holidays, I try, I try to instill in them the same thing that my parents instilled in me, right? So I'm like, Right. Girls like there are some we always adopt a family for or a few families for Christmas. Um, And so, you know, I'm trying to explain to them like, girls, there are some kids who don't have any toys and, you know, we have so much we can share with them because we have more toys than we're ever going to need. And I'm like, does that sound like a good idea? Should we do that? And immediately, one of my daughters starts bawling and goes, no, I don't want to share my toys. And I'm like, mm-hmm. awesome. This is exactly what I had hoped for. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, it's a work in progress. But we we talk a lot about, you know, helping other people. They're volunteering this Sunday. Um, they're making meals for people that are sick. But it's like, it's kind of gross. Like, I don't want to eat a meal that my three-year-old... And I I realize now that it's like putting chips, prepackaged chips in bags, not actually making food. Uh, But, you know, like things like that, for me, those are really special. It's more special for me now to like see my daughters starting to understand what that impact can be for them too. And that, you know, they're really lucky and they've been given a lot. And, you know, not everybody... As the things that we have, and they live a life that's extraordinary, and I want them to remember that.
1: I love that, Veen, and that's just a testament to who you are. That is just uh, you just do so much good for this world all the time that it's not like a special story anymore. It's just everyday life yeah. in how you deliver. And uh, we had a guest named Brent Pinvidic and he came in and he spoke and he says, I don't donate to any charities. I just have a cash account and I just do good for the world on yeah. my own dollar. And and he talked a lot about buying lunches for people and dinners and yeah. seeing people on the street and just giving the money away in the same concept. So I absolutely love that. Um, and we could sit here and talk all day about giving yes. and business. <laughs> uh, but we wanted to get through the final giving round with you. Just some rapid fire questions around giving. Are you ready? Okay. Let's do it. Awesome. Brag on one charity that you like. Oh, there's
0: so many. <laughs> That's the hardest question you've asked me so far. <laughs> uh, okay. I really love Kiva.org. Um, it's a micro lending company. And what it does is it doesn't give money to people in... Different countries, um, it gives you them micro loans, so they have to pay it back. But what it does is it sets someone up with a business, which obviously I'm like pass- passionate about entrepreneurship. Um, so it sets them up with like the ability to fund a business. So it's kind of like the you know if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, but if you get teach a man how to fish, they eat for a lifetime. It's like kind of like that concept. So I get paid back the money, and then I actually take it and like we re loan it out. So I think that's like. A like, can I have two? Can I say two?
1: Okay. One more.
0: Or 10. No, I'll say two. <laughs> one other one um, that I really like in the same vein, same kind of concept is uh, water.org. Um, so what they do is they build infrastructure for water in third world countries where um, historically they pull girls out of school by the time they're like young, like five, six, seven, eight. And the girls' responsibility is to go walk two, three hours each way sometimes to get water from from a well or from wherever the nearest water source is for the whole family. And so what happens is these young girls don't get educated. So what water.org does is they finance the infrastructure of bringing irrigation to smaller rural villages. So now, they can support the families with water infrastructure and young girls can stay in school and continue to get educated. And it's just like a really great organization. So, okay, that's it. I won't say anymore, but I have a ton more.
2: I'm sure you do, but those are great ones. (laughs) Um, What would get you more excited? Donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others?
0: Okay. I think a million dollar check because it is probably more impactful than what I could do in a
1: week alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We didn't say this was an easy round. This is this is the hardest no, question. It's no, no, it's hard. hard. Um, who inspires you with their giving?
0: Oh, I mean, Pace Morby for sure. Um, you guys, actually. You guys are some of the best givers that I've ever seen and it's so central and core to your message. I just, I love that energy. Thank you.
2: Thank you if you could give anything what would it be
0: i would give my daughters the confidence to go out into the world i'm hoping to give them this to go out into the world and leave it a better place than they found it
1: mm. what a great gift um what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear go big to give big
0: um, impact investment, investing, um, being purposeful in how you are scaling and growing companies, and really knowing what your moral compass is as a company, as you continue to grow.
2: Now, in one word, describe the feeling you get when you give.
0: Gratitude, actually. I think gratitude is the word.
1: Amazing. And the final question we have for Vina, ask all of our guests this question they've probably heard somewhere along the way is, do you believe that money can buy you happiness?
0: No, but I think it makes things a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad about it. No, so, uh, happiness comes from within. It really does. Um, you know, money is a magnifier. If you are happy without money, you'll be even happier with money. If you are, A miserable person without money you'll continue to be miserable it's just a different set of problems
1: ah that was a great answer and you know thank you so much for coming us and giving us so much time and and just walking us through your whole go big and give big story absolutely amazing and uh, i just want to give you a, a minute now to brag on yourself where can people find out more about your real estate investments or your personal brand or just be more involved in your life
0: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I loved this podcast. Um, so I have a Facebook community where actually I my goal is to impact ten thousand people. Mm-hmm. And I'm at like thirty three hundred right now. So I'm trying to grow it. Um it's called Mastering Multifamily with Vina Jetty. I do a lot of free content and I try to give, give, give in that group because it's a community and it's amazing. My community is the best community, and so I hang out there a lot. Um I'm also on, you know, social media, Vina Jetty. Um, and if you are interested in passively investing, you can go to my company website, vivefunds.com, v i b e f u n d scom
1: Amazing. Well, Vina, thank you again for coming in. This is uh, a long time dude. it. I'm so glad we got to make it happen. And uh, just again, thank you for inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can c- continue to give uh, more of our profits.
0: Yes. Thank you guys. I loved this episode. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.